Set a spark to your integrated business and marketing strategies with America's top entrepreneurs and business leaders here at Integrate and Ignite with your host, Lori Jones. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Driven by a determination to make the world a better place, Chris Yoko is focused on helping people and the organizations they belong to pave the way to a more utopian world. As president and CEO of Yoko Co., he helps like-minded organizations build and champion themselves using their most powerful asset, their web presence. Throughout his career, he has worked with some of the planet's largest brands like the Ritz-Carlton, Pampers, and Living Social. Chris excels at aligning strategy and execution with goals and objectives, solving unusual problems, and helping to create a remarkable experience. His background encompasses a well-rounded mix of media, sales, marketing, and entrepreneurial experience. When Chris isn't fearlessly leading, you'll likely find him on the ice playing hockey, with his nose buried in a book, or playing and exploring with his incredible wife and two daughters. Welcome to Integrate and Ignite, Chris. Hey, Lori. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you on the show. Tell us a little bit more about your background and ultimately what drew you to starting your own business. Yeah, so I'd always had a bit of an entrepreneurial itch, I think. Um, (laughs) And it uh, is an itch. (laughs) Absolutely. And so, you know, I'd gone through uh, my first entrepreneurial experience as a kid, you know, you do your, your little side hustles, mowing yards, collecting a little bit of extra cash here and there. Uh, and then where it really kind of became a reality for me was uh, when I graduated from high school. Have you ever heard of the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a friend did they got make that a movie book. out of that too? <laughs> did they? I didn't hear about I that. I think they did. Oh, off the chart. Who knows? But anyways. Yeah, I read that book after high school and got a chance to see you know, oh, like there's a lot of different options, you know, once you graduate. And I was still going, planning on going to college and my parents, uh, they paid their own way through school, took out student loans, hated them. They made it very clear to me that I was going to be paying my way through school. So I had to be mindful of that. And I was like, oh, I'll pay my way through school with real estate. I'll be, you know, a millionaire real estate investor. And I had like $5,000 saved up through all of high school uh, for my first semester of college. So I got my real estate license uh, before I came up to go to college. And as I went through the college process, signed up with a local brokerage, um, but I was hundreds of miles from home and they didn't really give me a whole lot of tutelage in terms of connectivity with any kind of actual audience. They're like, cool, go sell homes to your friends and family. And my friends and I you know, had a few bucks that we were probably going to try to buy some kind of cheap beer or something with, or maybe some <laughs> Schlitz. And, exactly. And, uh, you know, my family was hundreds of miles away. So I'd always played around with building websites through middle school and high school. And so I built one that branded me as an expert for out-of-town investors to invest in the DC market. And that ended up working out. So I ended up being able to pay my way through school and more uh, with that business. And as I left school, I realized I really enjoyed kind of the marketing side of the business, but I didn't, I wasn't necessarily as passionate about mostly working with other realtors. There's like 5% who are really good. And I still have an active license that I hang with a group that I very much like working with, but most of my passion was around the marketing side. And so got into marketing, uh, got a chance to work in the world of radio, primarily talk radio, helping them consider digital assets, uh, worked for a full service ad agency, was the managing partner there for a couple of years, went from one office in DC to offices in DC, Chicago, Dallas, and New York, and uh, really learned a lot about how to 
both run a company and not run a company from the majority owner there and over some disagreements about how they were treating some of their clients. Uh, in late 2008, early 2009, I left and I started my team uh, over here at Yoko CEO. Well, and I tell you, you guys uh, really have an incredible niche uh, and produce uh, incredible outcomes. I, I've researched it. So congratulations on the success that you've achieved. And you know what we're going to talk about today is reputation management. And really in this technology-driven world and split-second decisions and opinions and, and feedback are pushed out into the marketplace, it's very, very important to really have control over your reputation and be honest with yourself as a brand, as a marketer, as a sales team, you know, as a corporate exec on the importance of reputation and what you can do to ultimately make sure that it's the reputation you want, not the reputation you fear. Um, So (laughs) we're going to dive into some of that, um, some of those details today. First of all, give us an overview, if you would, uh, please, on your point of view surrounding the importance of reputation management. Yeah. So I think reputation management, I mean, obviously it's important from a business and communication standpoint. But what I think is interesting that technology is unlocked is it's much harder to for bad businesses to hide. You know, it costs a lot more because some of the, like the fly-by-night operations and you tend to see this, I mean, reputation management is one of the industries you see this in. You tend to see it a lot with SEO within the world of marketing where there's these fly-by-night firms and it's it's 500 bucks, a thousand bucks a month or whatever. And they'll blitz you know, entire cities, entire geographies, try to get as many clients as they can. And then they'll last for maybe a year or two before they have such a terrible reputation that they end up having to either totally reband or they blow up and they become a whole new business. And so it's nice in so much that it has given us the ability to really see people for who they are. But the negative side of that is, of course, basic psychology, right? People can have a wonderful experience and they go about their day and people can have kind of a negative experience and want to post about it to everybody. And so it's kind of figuring out how do you not necessarily control, but how do you partake in those conversations in such a way that people get a true sense of what your organization is like? And reputation management done right is obviously going to be a huge attractant, uh, but it also, in some cases, uh, can serve as a little bit of polarization to make sure you're right. attracting the type of people that are really going to appreciate and enjoy what you have to offer and technically, you know, repel the people that aren't going to be such a great fit and maybe help you avoid some of those issues in the first place. Right. And it always starts with uh, some sort of online review or online comment, online feedback um, you know, something where a very specific individual has posted something about a brand, usually from a negative experience or, you know, an experience that they didn't like the outcome of because ultimately the brand stood up for what they believed in and, and they had to say no to something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's both sides of the fence, which lead to possible negativity in the brand. But let's talk about where people really need to begin really, uh, and understanding what they have control over with the brand and really an introspective look at where they are serving the customers well and where they are not serving customers well. And that is the point in which you know bad reviews start. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I think the introspection piece is something a lot of people skip over, right? There's that we call it shiny object syndrome, where it's just like, oh, we've got to be on Twitter, we've got to be on TikTok. Oh, we've got to be Yelp is out there, we've got to be on Yelp. And the first part is to really take a look and think about what you want to 
gain or hold on to, depending on what kind of, you know, if you're playing offense or defense with reputation management, but it's what you want to get out of it from a business perspective, because there are very likely some places where you don't need to be expending energy because there's not going to be a return and it's not really a playground you need to be playing in. And there's going to be other areas where it's probably really critical for you to be considering participating. Um, And so there's that initial thought of, okay, what are we aiming to get out of this? And then in any of those cases, it tends to start with taking a true look at the experience itself. Right. We got brought in, you know, for a client, uh, this was years ago as a moving company and it never took off. I wanted, I wanted, I tried to get them to consider rebranding under uh, sucks less moving. <laughs> anyone who's ever moved, like it sucks. It's just, if you can make it suck a little less, I would be all about working with that company. Nonetheless, they, they didn't take our advice on that, but we did come in to help them and they originally brought us in for reputation management. And as we get into it, we see, you know, they're getting a handful of negative reviews. Every now and again, they get a good one, but the negative reviews are really starting to mount up and they're flooding over into, you know, Google, they're flooding over into Facebook. People are commenting socially, they're hitting them on Yelp. So there's a lot of different areas where these negative reviews are accumulating and they've been playing defense for a while. And at a certain point, they just said, okay, we obviously, you know, need some outside help. So we came in, one of the first things we wanted to do was do a couple of ride-alongs, right? See what the actual experience is like. Right. And, you know, one of the first things we saw is, I think it was like the second uh, ride-along we went on, guys pulled up in the truck, you know, pretty curt with the, uh, it was, I think it was one woman and I think she had a child, like a, a pretty young child. He's like, hey, we're here to start moving everything. And, you know, she had packed most of the stuff up, uh, but not all of it. And they were just kind of tossing stuff into the truck, weren't particularly polite. Once everything got moved uh, into the new place, they were just moving across town and everything was taken care of. They had broken a couple of things or a couple of things had broken in the truck or in transit. Didn't really apologize. Said, you have to take that up with, you know, our manager, uh, here's a card and then basically rolled out. And I was like, yeah. well, there you have it. I can <laughs> That's see how it starts. Yeah. <laughs> if this is the experience people are having, like, yeah, guess what? This isn't a reputation management problem. This is uh, an actual execution and experience problem. Yeah. And so being able to have uh, some fresh eyes or like some secret shoppers, some people that you trust to really let you see things through a customer's lens is something you should never take for granted when it comes to reputation management because what I find tends to happen is people get a negative review and it feels like an attack, right? So you immediately become defensive. And if you're a part of that organization and your job may be like, I'm supposed to be making sure we get positive reviews. It feels like an attack on you personally sometimes because that's your job, that's your role. You're supposed to defend the company. And at the end of the day, it's you know more of like, a, have you ever read the book Radical Candor? Oh, I ha- I've actually got the book on my bookshelf. I've read it here and there, but not the whole thing yet. It's uh, it's nice. One of the things that it leans into is, you know, feedback is a gift. Yeah. And that's all these negative reviews are. They're telling you something you may not want to hear, but they're telling something you really valuable about your business. And all reputation management starts with the experience. Yeah, uh, it sure does. I think it's worth noting here as well that there's external uh reputation management, but there's internal reputation management as well, which I know a lot of business leaders are worried about uh, when it when they have to fire an employee or when an employee leaves. And certainly Glassdoor is one of those um, sure. those tools that uh, you know, I believe all business leaders should be monitoring uh, on a you know on a monthly basis at a minimum. 
Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's, you know, once you start to see that stuff, especially when you start to see it conflict with like exit uh, right. interviews and some stuff like that, it's okay. What about our culture is not enabling people to be honest about what's going on here? Right. And, you know, then intend, instead of, you know, like the moving company story where it was an external customer experience, here is more of an internal you know, kind of company cultural experience, or it could be an issue with maybe a one manager or something. But again, it's feedback. It's a gift. It's something you need to look at through that lens and do something about, as opposed to just shoot it down. And that's- And I suppose the other option would be to ignore it because indeed, some of the information that is out there is definitely unfounded from the standpoint of, you know, if you've got to fire someone due to due cause, and they go out and uh, talk about the organization in a very, very negative way, there's really sometimes just nothing you can do about it, especially if you don't have those contracts in place to mitigate it from happening. Besides, you know, you know, on a glass door, it's different. you can't get it down. But on a Facebook or you know, a lot of the social channels, of course, you can delete it. But you know, there's some things that are just unfounded and untrue. I'll, I'll give you a good example. So we, are, we have our building on Main Street, USA, incredible building, uh, downtown mm-hmm. Longmont, uh, town just north of, of Denver. And we were having a huge problem with people walking into the building and asking, uh, basically they were the homeless, asking for free food and you know, asking to use the restroom. And, uh, and, and at one point, one of our team members was verbally assaulted. So we oh, ended up having to lock the front door and we still keep it locked if we're all you know, in a meeting or something like that. Yeah. And uh, there was someone who uh, was trying to introduce themselves to our business and they were knocking on the front door. They had just got done with a workout. They looked a little scraggly and for about five seconds, everyone paused and looked before someone (laughs) got up to go to the front door and, you know, talk to the individual. Well, that individual was just pissed um, that (laughs) we paused didn't ask why the door was locked or anything. And they put in an, a review up um, that was completely unfounded. Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, I, it was, it was very interesting because, um, you know, we work with, you know, small to medium sized businesses with budgets. Right. And, and this individual stated in the review that he had $5,000 to spend over a year and that he really, you know, I'll take my money elsewhere. And we all thought, oh my gosh, good riddance. You know, we, right. <laughs> it's totally not within our sweet spot of companies we work with either. But, but in that situation, sometimes you just got to let it go. I mean, it's not worth the fight. And the words do the fighting for you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, there's all kind of those tricky situations, right? And there's the one-offs where, you know, there is the reality of the situation and you need to address it. And so whether it's, you know, some of our clients, it's, uh, I think you'd mentioned you were doing some crisis communication. So, and so mm-hmm. while not every single negative review is a crisis, it's a crisis to the person that posted it. And so depending again, with that introspective look on what do we want to get out of this, both, you know, by and large, and in this individual instance, like you said, sometimes it's like, all right, you know what, there's no winning with this. We're just yeah. not going to worry about yeah, it. Or it's, it's Hey, if, other people are going to see this. We need to at least respond and explain like, hey, here's why we do this. We wouldn't be a good fit for you uh, because of X, Y, and Z. And these are the types of people that we serve. You know, Sorry you had an hassle, but this is why we do it to protect our employees, et cetera. So that the next person that sees it, okay, great. At least they know the story. Uh, right. Yeah, I love then, it. 
you know, and, and the important point here is to look internally, to look externally, and to quite frankly, be honest with yourself about where ultimately you need to tighten up as a brand uh, so that the negative reviews uh, start or stop happening, and which really ties into monitoring your reputation. And it starts with listening. For sure. It starts with the listening side. And the other side of that, you know, we've talked mostly to this point about like negative reviews and what you do about that. But so many of the organizations, especially that we work with, the vast majority of the customers, clients, patients, members, guests, whatever the case might be, have had positive experience with the brand. But it's just kind of human nature that if everything's going well, you just kind of continue to go about doing your thing. Have you ever, uh, there's a book called Moments by, I think it's Chip and Dan Heath. I always get their names wrong. No, I haven't heard of it. It's definitely worth a read. It's one of those books you can kind of scan through. It's 200 something pages, but you really have 25 pages of stuff you should really (laughs) take into consideration. But the big part that they talk about is, you know, if you look at all of the highs and lows of an event, the two things that seem to have the biggest impact is kind of an average of all of the highs and lows put together and how you would rank kind of the last touch points. Like the endings are very energizing. And so if you have a great ending to a meal. If you go to a restaurant or something, it's like, oh, the service was a little slow. It took us a while to get a table. Uh, But then we got in and the food was pretty good. And the waiter was nice. And then he gave us a free dessert. Like, oh, that was so nice. We had a great positive ending experience. Even if up until that last moment, you would have said like, "Mm, it's like a five out of 10. But that last moment was a nine out of 10. It's going to boost that average up closer to an eight, even if all the other data points, you know, were a little bit lower. And so one of the other things that we tend to talk to a lot of our clients about is how do you set up procedures and systems that enable you or your team or, you know, whoever it is that needs to be responsible for asking for positive reviews to ask for them at a time when it is most appropriate. Because if you don't ask for them, you're likely not going to get them. But if you do ask for them at the right time and you make it easy for somebody to leave it, it's very, very, you know, fulfilling for them to go like, oh, I had such a great experience. I'd love to leave some positive feedback. And so going back to that same story we had with the moving company, one of the things we did after, oh, geez, it took them like a year or so to go through a bunch of like retraining a bunch of employees, making sure that the experience on average was markedly improved in a positive experience. One of the things they started doing at the end of every move is if people had like electronics or like a, um, an entertainment center or something or a desk, They'd go in, they'd build that back up for them or their bed. They'd put that together for them as a part of the move. But what they would do is they would move everything in and then they would say, hey, how are you feeling about everything with the move? We know it's hard, but you know, hopefully we got everything in here. Does everything feel good? And if they were saying yes, it was, okay, great. We're going to go ahead and put this together for you. Try to make this really easy. So at least you have your TV set up, your bed set up so you can go to sleep tonight. While we're doing this, we've got this iPad with cellular connectivity it's already opened up to Google. If you wouldn't mind jotting a couple notes down about what the experience was like, it's a huge, huge boon for us. Yeah, um, that's really great. A lot. And what do you know? Like suddenly they started getting a lot more positive reviews because you were getting a more honest sampling size as opposed to just that one angry just the person negative. out of every 50 yeah. or something. Absolutely. Yeah, you definitely need to offset those. And you know what? It's going to happen um, no matter what. Of course. Um, there are just some people that you can't please And bottom line is we do make mistakes. So I think that's important. There's some incredible tools out there to really monitor brands' reputation. One that I've heard of is uh, Reputology. I don't know if you have any thoughts on additional tools that brands can and can use to monitor or not. There's a ton of them out there. Mm -hmm. And there was a time when we had a couple that we really 
liked. And what I found is the business model for a lot of them have changed over, especially mm. like the last two years. It seems like there's been a bit of an arms race. So I think it more or less depends on what size organization you are and what you're aiming to do for a lot of, especially smaller businesses. We just say, hey, once a week, once a month, depending on what type of business you are, you should be checking your, you know, Facebook reviews, your Google reviews, your Yelp, whatever like the platforms are that you're going to be using most commonly and just check them directly. Um, If you're an organization that tends to have a much broader reach, you know, we do work with a number of like healthcare systems where like reputation.com comes into play and being able to monitor reviews and feedback across not only things like health grades, but also the individual social profiles, as well as uh, all the review sites and have all that stuff aggregated is really powerful. And then there's a handful of, you know, social listening tools that you can attune to, you know, look for your brand names, look for, you know, your personnel name, depending on what kind of business you have, uh, your product names, et cetera. So that even if they're not tagging you or hashtagging you, you can get a chance to see those conversations happening and really be mindful of how you want to enter those conversations. Those are all a really valid way to kind of enter the world of reputation management. I think it just depends on what you want to get out of it again and kind of start with the end in mind. Yeah, and and certainly you touched on this, but having that divisive uh, response plan in place, whether it be monthly, but also who is going to respond, what type of response should be provided, and you know at what point do you ultimately you know, ask for a phone number, ask for an email address, and and you know pick up the phone and call. All those things really should be mapped out uh, when developing a really good reputation management program. Absolutely. It's, um, I, I skipped over this point earlier, but you had mentioned you, you've recorded a couple of shows around like crisis management and crisis communications in this time. And right. with a negative review, it's like a really, really minuscule case of crisis communications. Like the rules are pretty simple. It should be, you know, there should be a game plan, like you said, in terms of how we can respond. You should try to address it if it is something where it makes sense to accept ownership, accept ownership. Hey, sorry that this happened. Maybe here's why it happened. We'd like to make it up to you. Here's how we make it good. And then, right. we'll- and, and guess what? I, I was just reading a study on this. My understanding is when you do approach it like that, about 80% of unhappy customers become won over. Um, so yeah. the negative review is in the past. They often go online and respond and say, you know, the company handled this perfectly and they're very polite and, and friendly about it in the end. Yeah, I think a lot of it is, you know, people want to be heard. And there's that old saying, what is it? Converts become the best zealots. It's like some of those negative reviews, like if you handle them appropriately, you will have a zealotous, you know, brand ambassador on your side simply because you gave them a chance to be heard, you addressed it, and you fixed it. Like those are the things you want to have out of any relationship, be it person to person or, you know, company to uh, company to customer. And certainly speed rules. Uh the attention that we provide something in responding in a couple hours versus days, or at least by sundown, we've got a sundown rule at Avisat, uh, definitely helps uh, form a more positive experience and opinion. Yeah, I think with technology, it's easy for a negative review to be kind of the thin edge of the wedge, depending Uh on what kind of business you have. And if there's a lot of people looking you up online where it's, oh, you know what, I had that too. And then suddenly people start piling on. You don't want to let people get into that kind of mob mentality, which hopefully, again, you're controlling the experience and that's not the case. But if you're not proactively monitoring and answering these things pretty quickly, it can snowball on you. Right. And you certainly want to build on, on the positives. Um, you may have heard of the 99-1 rule. According uh, to Susan uh, Kakinchis, uh, only 1% of social media users 
create content. Mm -hmm. Another 9% comment or interact with that content. But 90% of visitors, a massive majority, are there to simply read a review and then leave. It's where they do their shopping. So this really instills the importance of, of reputation management right there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of those, like you said, the 90% kind of lurk. And I mean, that's also where, you know, the kind of artificial review game became big on sites like Amazon, where it's like, oh, it's just people want to see how many five stars you get. And then you start to look at some of them and you're like, that was barely English. Like how legit might this actually be? And so then it's, you know, taking a look at, okay, where are you running into people who may be gamifying or gaming the system versus authentically interacting with customers? Yeah, it, it's it's ultimately, uh, you know, if someone's teetering or they need that that additional insight on whether or not they will make a purchase or pick up the phone and call, uh, reputation management and these reviews are very very important. I think it's worth noting as well. Reviews really started uh, from a very raw consumer standpoint, whether it be restaurant with the Yelps of the world, or you know certainly Facebook and and Google from you know consumer product standpoint. But it is really moving very quickly into the business to business space as well. And I would really urge brands listening today to develop some sort of a program where you know, you've got those positive reviews out there on some of the new business review platforms. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a couple where, you know, you can choose if you want to play there or not in terms of like the pay to play platforms, but then there's, you know, really straightforward ones. The ones I tend to lean back on are the two big ones with Google and Facebook, where there's a handful of people, depending on what kind of business you have that are getting introduced to you on either of those platforms or, you know, if on Google, one of the ways that you tend to attract uh, new customers or prospects is through search engine optimization and ranking for various search terms, we found that there does seem to be some correlation with having at least a handful of positive reviews and uh, overall rank. So there's certainly some things that you could be mindful of uh, whenever you go out thinking about what kind of processes and procedures it makes sense to put in place for your business. That if you're thinking about, oh, nine out of 10 of our customers find us on Google, we should put a process in place to make sure that, you know, we're asking the customers that have a satisfactory experience to leave a review there so that we can now have, you know, more people discover us there. Starting again with the end in mind will help you kind of identify where it makes sense to play and then branch out from there. Right. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I heard this number, oh gosh, maybe a year ago, and, and I, I want your response to it, or maybe you have some updated data for us. My understanding is to bring down a single negative review on Google, you need a minimum of six positive reviews. I've heard that ratio too. I don't know if it holds up in every case, but it's certainly one where you need a lot more weight on the positive end to you know, move any weight on the negative end of the uh, you know, seesaw, as it were. Yeah, and it is a seesaw at that, Chris Yoko. Such an incredible conversation today. And let's remember, you can handle, you can manage your reputation by controlling and improving how your brand is perceived by others. Chris Yoko, thank you so much for your appearance on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Lori. This episode is complete, but the inspiration has just begun. Head over to avocetcommunications.com for show notes and more aha moments. Tune in regularly to ignite your integrated business and marketing strategies with Lori Jones and the Integrate and Ignite podcast.